Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Seth. Thank you for joining us on the Walls of Isengard as we explore the many works of Tolkien and discuss life. We're glad to have you as part of the fellowship as there's no telling where we'll be swept off to. I've really been enjoying this uh, read-through of Children of Hurin. This has been uh, kind of a new journey for me. I've, I've really enjoyed it and I'm very excited for this uh, meat and potatoes section that we're going to jump into here in a couple seconds. But before we do that, it's been a couple weeks. I haven't really talked to my brother here in a little while, so we're going to babble like Butterbur, whether you like it or not. <laughs> so Seth, how you doing, man? What's going on? Oh, I'm good, buddy. Uh, yeah, it has. We've been kind of busy, and I know you guys have too, so kind of sucks to not be able to do it every week. But hey, we made it work. Um, honestly, not a whole lot other than just staying busy with work and everything. We out of nowhere got about 10 inches to a foot of snow in the last day and a half and whoa i got home from work and they had plowed our street a little bit and the snow piled up on our driveway and i was like i i can't get in Uh, my little 2006 Sentra is gonna get stuck if i try so (laughs) i parked in the street which in our neighborhood you actually get a ticket if you park in the street overnight because the roads aren't super wide yeah the roads aren't Mm. super wide and they want to keep it clean and open um which i don't mind but i so i ran inside helped evelyn go down and then this was after 13 and a or 13 ish hour day at work and ran inside helped put evelyn to bed for 20 minutes threw on my Mm. boots and went out and started shoveling shoveled for like probably close to an hour 45 minutes to an hour and only got like a third of the driveway done so that i could just pull the car in (laughs) so that's insane it was it was pretty wild and then i got up this morning at 4 15 to work out and then right after working out i went out and shoveled and it's like man i am starving i need some eggs (laughs) (laughs) that's wild man that's crazy yeah. It was 75 degrees here yesterday. Are you serious? Because you guys got snow not that long ago. Uh, we haven't gotten anything. Is it, last, is it full on our, spring then? No. I mean, yesterday felt like it. Today's 35 degrees now. It's weird. Like yesterday was 75 degrees, sunny, beautiful day. We went out for a run, Ariel and I together. And then today's like cloudy, 35 degrees, and just kind of that humid cold. But yeah. That's not terrible, but at the same time, that's a pretty big, pretty big shift in in the weather pattern there. Yeah, yeah, it's just just kind of weird. It's hard to hard to plan for, but yeah, it is what it is. I uh, I figured I'd let you know this. I haven't really told a ton of people yet, um, but I got accepted into nurse practitioner school, so I'm actually what? starting that. Yep, starting that in the fall. Jeez, what does that look like? Thankfully. I don't know. It's one of those things where I was trying to decide, like, we, I make enough money for Amanda to stay home right now, but with one kid and they just keep getting more expensive and then hopefully yeah. another kid or two, you know, it's like, I need to make more money than I can just as a normal mm-hmm. nurse. And so I was looking into my options and there's CRNA school, like a nurse anesthetist or a perfusionist that runs a bypass during open heart. Those are kind of like, oh, that'd be really cool. But Wow. The tuition is ridiculously expensive and you have to like you can't work while you're in those programs. Mm. Um, but I found a an MP school not far from here that I can do part time over the course of three years while I continue to work full time. Uh, so it'll take me a little while to get there, but 
I'll be able to get my master's degree for very little cost, and I'll be able to keep working through it. So that's awesome, dude. How's that? That's that's incredible, though. I'm I'm really proud of you. Well done. Yeah, thanks, thanks. And I know uh, you've got a lot going on too, huh? Yeah, yeah. We had our 13 week appointment on Wednesday and got to hear the heartbeat again. It's just. You know, it's just going boom, 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 boom. Yep. But yep. Uh, that was that was really cool because, you know, it's been four weeks since the ultrasound and you're just like assuming everything's fine, but you don't, I mean, I don't know anything. Ariel feels things happen, obviously, but right. I mean, even she was still like, well, I, I mean, my symptoms are going down. I'm not as sick anymore. Is everything okay? <laughs> and it's reassuring but, to hear the heartbeat. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, our, our, our doctor was just like, yeah, you're, you're doing great. You're doing awesome. Baby's awesome. Like we'll see you in four weeks. And so that was, that was super cool. That was super cool. But nice. other than that, yeah, we're just chugging along. We're trying to figure out right now. Um, do we, do we sell my car? Or do we buy a new car? Cause we have some issues with it. That's going to cost a lot of money and just trying to figure out like the wisdom and discernment with that, with the, with the market right now, as it is, uh, money stuff is always difficult and it's, I feel like it'd be easier if I could just make the decision myself, but it may not be the right decision. And so I'm thankful for Ariel's wisdom, but it also like, you know, we have to figure this out together and um, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what comes of it. I know God's got us. That's something that I was telling her this morning as she was just like shaking her head. Like, I don't know what we're going to do. I was like, Hey, God's got us every single way, part of the way up to this point in our relationship. Like every single time we've been in need, he's pulled us through. And we'll be all right. You know, we'll find a good car before our baby comes and, um, or we'll, or, you know, this one will work well, but you know, whatever it is, like we will, we'll be okay. And, you know, it's just that kind of blind faith, but really not blind because you have a track to back it up. Yeah, exactly. There's a track record. So yeah, it, it does add a lot of stress though, on top of, you know, fostering and, and just working a lot too. So all that to say, we are we're rocking and rolling, but yeah we're doing we're doing okay otherwise <laughs> um i do say well let's let's i guess we'll do riddles in the dark first well we don't have like tidings from the fellow from our fellowship but there are tidings that we need to talk about from the fellowship at large so to speak uh but we'll, okay, we'll, we'll okay. Go, go in order here so we'll do riddles in the dark first unless there's anything else you wanted to update us on no not not at all let's dive into this stuff i i'm excited for these two chapters that i like the chapters and can't wait to jump into them here. Yeah, very good. Well, I will go ahead and start with Riddles in the Dark because I have one pulled up right here. And again, probably pretty easy. You should uh, you should get it, but we'll see. We'll see. <clears throat> all right. All right. Let's hear it. I feel like singing myself, though at the moment I could feel more like eating and drinking. That will soon be cured, he said. You have shown your usual cunning and getting up just in time for a meal. Hmm. Just in time for a meal. Uh, that sounds like Mary talking to Pippin when they're at um, when they're in the Shire before they leave to the old forest. I'm trying to the uh, I forget the name of the house. Crick Hollow. In the incorrect. No. Uh, all right. Hold on. Hold on. I thought you said that right. would be easy. Just well, in time for a meal. That's got to be keep Mary reading, talking to Pippin. Uh, no, <clears throat> one of those is incorrect. 
But I can bring in Mary's words if you if that would make it easier. Just go, Mary, Mary give me speaks a little next. bit more. Give me a little bit more. So Mary speaks next. More than a meal, a feast, said Mary. And I'll stop there because if I read this next line, you're going to get it immediately. Oh, is this in Rivendale? Wow, that's incredible. How do you do that? Is it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, the next line is, as soon as Gandalf reported that you were recovered, the yeah. preparations began. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay, that makes more sense. I was like, what in the world? But no, so isn't that Pippin talking to Frodo? And then Mary chimes in afterwards. Yeah, Frodo said first, like, hey, I could I could eat and drink. And Pippin's right, like, oh, right, you right. always wake up for the meal. And then Mary's like, more than a meal, a feast. And so, yeah, yep. you, all, all three ah, hobbits, okay. Rivendell, which chapter? Is that the Council of Elrond? Nope. It's probably right, the one right before that, whatever it is. Many meetings. Many meetings. Ah, I could see that. Uh, yeah. Well done, though. I uh, I really thought I had you stumped there, and then you're just like, out of nowhere. Oh, yeah, that's Rivendell. It's like, okay. I It took me a second. I needed all the help I could get for that, but we got there in the end. Yeah, I guess so. All right, what do um, you got for me? <laughs> I, I think this one's probably a little easier. I won't give the whole thing, um, but we'll see. I don't know about that, said Blank, but how would this suit? It ain't what I would call proper poetry, if you understand me. Just a bit of nonsense. Well, that's obviously Sam talking, um, and I feel like he's always just making up like little songs and stuff yeah so i'm trying to figure out where it is all right let me give you the next sentence but these old images here brought it to my mind Hmm. part of me wants to say lothlorien after gandalf died but i know that's not true because because that one's about fireworks yeah that's about the fireworks um let's see it's a more somber yeah, yeah, he's bursting stars of blue and green. And <laughs> oh, golly, I, I'm trying to think of where he would see these old images, as you said. Like, I'm going through like the the journey together, and it's right, possible. Let me, find, let me find a little piece of the of the song here. Harder than stone is the flesh and bone of a troll that sits on a hill alone. Uh... Okay. So that would be when they're uh, with Strider uh, passing Mr. Bilbo's trolls. Yes, indeed. In the Fellowship of the Ring. Is that Flight from the Ford? Is that the... Or, uh, not, not Flight from it's, the Ford chapter. It's Flight to the Ford. Flight to the Ford, not yeah. Not yeah, yeah. the Ford, but yeah. Right, yeah, I was like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah, it's thank funny you. How I mean, you're I... able to nail Pippin, or I mean, Sam, right off the bat, just because of like the way he talks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's definitely. I love how Tolkien does that, like, because it it really does give personality and character traits to each person. You know, it's. Yeah. I don't know. You read some other fantasy or other writings, and it's just like each each person doesn't really have their own style of talking. They they all talk the same. They might have their own characteristics and details of them, but sure. if you just put the dialogue next to each other, you probably wouldn't be able to guess, you know, as easily yeah, as you Tolkien can tell the, You can tell the personality simply based on, like, 
the tone that each character uses, basically. Yeah. Well, like I said, tidings of the fellowship, we have nothing new from you guys. So if you're listening, we want to know you're doing okay. Andrew, I hope you're all right. I hope you're still listening and reading along with us. Uh, Caleb and the Linville crew, I know you guys are listening. You you, you texted us about our whole ransoming thing from last week. So uh, <laughs> glad you guys are doing okay. But hey, I mean, as Caleb shared his Tolkien story, I mean, Luke, Dan, you guys can share yours too. Might be yeah, a little bit different it. than Caleb's. Um, but yeah, we'd love to hear it and, and share it with the rest of our worldwide audience. And I say worldwide because we do have listeners all around the world, even if it's just one or two. <laughs> hey, we'll take it. We'll take it. We have somebody in uh, in the Netherlands because that was one of my old coworkers who moved to the Netherlands. I That's saw cool. we had somebody in Australia or New Zealand, actually, um, listening. So, Shocker you know. that somebody from New Zealand was <laughs> <Right, right, all laughs> <yeah>. podcast. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But the tidings of the Fellowship Abroad, in the sense that this is applicable to all Lord of the Rings fans, young and old, far and wide. Warner Brothers is making a new Lord of the Rings movie series. Did you hear about this? Uh, I didn't read into it. I heard, I don't know what the series is necessarily about, but I've heard that potentially they're going to have PJ, Fran Walsh, and Philippa Boyens involved, which makes me actually a little bit excited. Um, yes. When before, when I first read the headline, I was like, no, please just stop. Like, let's, let's, let's stop <laughs> butchering this. But if those three are involved and they yeah. still have that same opinion of, we don't want to put any of our themes into it. We want Tolkien's themes into it. Even if they change, you know, the story and fill in gaps, as long as it's in the true spirit of Tolkien, I'm sure it'll be good. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think, just reading uh, an article from CNN real quick was the first thing that popped up. It looks like they have, uh, quote-unquote, multiple new movies set in Middle-earth in the works. Um, they announced it on Thursday. And it makes sense to me because they saw the just response that Rings of Power got. Obviously, it was majority negatively, but there were just so many people that watched it. So many people that were like, hey, I want to dive more into Lord of the Rings. And so... I think that was a really good just teaser for, hey, is this fan base still alive? <laughs> like, do they still care? And the answer is a resounding yes. yes and so they're like, well, if it's still like that, we can make some money off it and hopefully do, uh, hopefully do right by Tolkien in the process. And I'm actually really excited for the, the War of the Rohirrim uh, movie mm-hmm. that's coming out. Do you know about that one? I think it's yeah, going to be animated. It's got Miranda Otto in it, though. Yeah, yeah, she's going to be like one of the voice actors who played, she played uh, Eowyn. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's, I'm stoked. I think, I think this could be a really cool reboot to the whole universe, but um, obviously only, I don't really want, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say the only thing I'm really kind of concerned about is like, I don't know, I used to get excited when a Marvel movie came out, not that I was huge into the comics and stuff, but it just becomes so oversaturated and intertwined that. It, they're not different from one another. Every movie that comes yeah. out is the same the same story, basically. Yeah. That's that's fair. And that's my that's my fear with like, you know, with the reboot of the Star Wars series and, and all that kind of stuff is that they are just kind of pumping this out without doing it justice. But I don't know. I with knowing that Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh and, and those people are involved, obviously that always makes you feel a little bit better. Because even if it is the quality of the Hobbit, I'll take it. The Hobbit's enjoyable. Like it's it's definitely 
not as good as the Lord of the Rings. It's different from the books, but I really enjoyed it. And it took a lot of stuff from the Silmarillion that Peter Jackson just kind of threw in there. Cause he's like, you know what? I can, I can, I can reference to this stuff without actually. Well, they, he was like, I have to make three movies out of one small yeah. book. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I and mean, he just ran with it. And again, like I will still rewatch those. They're, they're fun movies. Um, they are. But, they definitely aged a lot better once Rings of Power came out. All of a sudden, I became <laughs> a little more fond of the Hobbit movies. Indeed. Yeah. So that's uh, tidings from the Fellowship Abroad. But again, if you have tidings, we'd love to, love to hear how you guys are doing. And on that, before we switch topics, I'm curious. If you got to pick one story at large that Tolkien doesn't really expand upon, that would give them a lot of like creative um, ability to create their own story within, you know, an outline what story would it be because i've got a couple that i'd really like mm. um obviously i don't think you can make a whole movie i mean you probably could baron and luthien um mm-hmm. i would love to see that obviously like that would be amazing i think that whole story as you know is near and dear to my heart uh, we're naming our son baron so that would be really cool for him to be able to watch yeah. that and be like hey that's me i mean obviously i'm gonna read him the story obviously but um yeah, Baron and Luthien is the first one that comes to mind, but uh, I'd love to see some of the first age stuff. I think the kind of what we're even going through, like the whole fight against Morgoth, Battle of Unnumbered Tears. Um, I'd love to see more of the dragons, like some yeah. of the dragons that that Morgoth was able to use. Like that was pretty insane. Um, I don't know. Imagine I think Children of Hurin could be really great too. Yeah. Imagine getting to see Encalagon the Black, who when he died, oh, he like took out the top of like three mountain peaks when he fell on them because he was yeah. so big. Imagine getting to see that. That'd be sweet. That'd be epic. That'd be so cool. And I mean, again, I haven't seen Game of Thrones, but from what I hear, like they, they do a really good job of like using dragons for like their cinema, cinematic uh, works. And so if you bring in somebody who's worked on Game of Thrones before to do the dragons for for uh tolkien stuff i think that'd be sweet yeah yeah i and i like that idea i think for me number one would be this story here children of foreign um but if i was going a little more obscure i'd probably pick something in the third age like um like the kingdom of kingdom of arnor getting attacked by the witch king in the battles Mm. that took place like in the barrow downs and when glorfin yeah you know, yeah. fought against the Witch King alongside the, um, I forget who the king was at that time, but mm. I, I'd love to see that story flushed out a little bit. Yeah, I don't know much about that at all, really. That'd be, that'd be sweet. Yeah, it's mostly just the appendices is all there is that I've found so far. Yeah. But like you said, you could have a bit more liberty with that stuff, because there isn't a whole lot there. Whereas right. Rings of Power, it's very obvious how these rings were made, what they did, how Sauron came to be in power. Like it, there's a whole story there that was very obvious. Tolkien made it this way. And they were like, nah, <laughs> like, nah, it's, we can, we can improve on Tolkien, even though we're paying so, just a ridiculous amount of money for his rights. We'll, we'll do better. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. But speaking of the master himself, let's jump right into the meat and potatoes. So we're jumping into another chapter of children of Hearn, And, uh, this is, we're actually doing two chapters today because uh, the first chapter, The Land of Bow and Helm, is, is, is a decent sized chapter. But then the second one, I won't say, share the name of the chapter yet, but uh, <laughs> it's if a little shorter. So. You know. 
Yeah, you probably know what's what's about to happen, but in case you don't and you're just listening to this, like mom and dad, you know, they they just kind of listen. So they they maybe this will shock them what happens here this uh, podcast, but uh, we we pick up the story um with Beleg, the the elf, um back with the company and he served as part of the company. He worked really hard on behalf of everybody there and and he brought his skills from uh, that he had learned from Doriath, you know, his healing abilities that the elves are so well known for, uh, to heal the injured and the sick and the people in the company. And, and everyone recovered quickly when he was working on him, which is pretty cool. And he was really impressive. Like, everyone was blown away by him. He was really valiant in battle anytime they went out and, and, and fought some orcs. Um, he relied mainly on his longbow and, of course, the great sword Anglicel that will uh, have a lot more to play later on. But it should be mentioned, there was one person who was not a huge fan of Beleg the Elf. If you have any guesses, you're probably right. It's Meme the Dwarf. Tolkien says that evermore the hatred grew in the heart of Meme, who hated all elves, as has been told, and who looked with jealous eye on the love that Turin bore to Beleg. So, again, Turin and Beleg, they're best friends, and... They always have been, and so since Belg's come back, Turin spent a lot more time with him, hanging out with him, talking to him, when he used to do that with Meme. And so Meme's not only just hates elves in general, kind of that racist hate like you mentioned last podcast, but now sees his best, his really only friend um, being taken away by this person that he would hate. Um, so we see that, that Meme is not super happy to have him in his home. Um, but then Tolkien takes a little bit of a break from the company and explains what Morgoth is thinking, the broodings of Morgoth. And so when winter passed, he moved his armies into Beleriand. And uh, Tolkien has an interesting way of writing. He, he puts it, he says, who knows the Council of Morgoth with like a question mark? You know, he's, he, even he's like, I'm not so sure I understand this character. Like, who knows what this guy is really trying to get at? What's his purpose? What's his end goal here? But Tolkien said that Morgoth's uh, thought was often bent towards Melian. And yet was often foiled because Melian has the girdle of Melian, like she's got that place protected. She's very, very wise. As we learned, you know, from a bunch of podcasts ago, Morgoth fears Melian and her power as one of the uh, one of the Valar too. So um, she's she's very powerful and Morgoth is like, I need to somehow get her and, and Thingle and that whole area under my control. I just don't know how to do that. So then Mal- uh, he turns his malice, Morgoth turns his malice to west of Sirion. And so he, he thought of the hidden city of Gondolin because he's, again, knows that Finrod's out there somewhere in, in Nargothrond, and he's, he's thinking of all these different places that still has some strength left and places that could, could defend him, even maybe come, come with force and attack him. Um, but finally, his, his orcs took Dimbar, the North Marches that Beleg had been trying to save for so long and that Turin even fought for for a little while. And the orcs made their way through uh, that land past Amenrud, where Turin is staying. And they halted on the edge of Nargothrond. And uh, again, they didn't want to jump into that, as Seth mentioned last podcast. Nargothrond is still very, very powerful. And the elves there um, are known for just being awesome. (laughs) You know, like not letting anything into their woods without just completely, utterly destroying them with stealth and, and power. So... That's where the orcs kind of resided, kind of near Amenrud, where, uh, where Turin was laying. But Tolkien says that they were tormented by a hidden fear. Now, if you're thinking, you're, you're, you're kind of going along with us, you understand that this is Turin's company. And so with, with the help of Beleg and his skill, the company, company that was only... <clears throat> excuse me. The company being only 
50 at the time, acted like a great host against these orcs. And Turin, once again, he, he puts on the helm of Hador, and he, he strikes fear in the hearts of these orcs because of who he is, the strength he has in battle. He's si- fighting side by side with Beleg, and they're, they're kind of training up their, their company on how to fight these orcs, and they're becoming a, a really a, a force to be reckoned with. And even at the sound of his horn, the orcs would turn and flee. So Turin is really starting to make a name for himself and, and Morgoth is starting to understand, okay, there's, there's a new threat to me, but I don't really understand what it is yet. Yeah. And at this point, uh, jumping back on board with tour and, and, uh, and Belleg and everybody, they would go out and I, I forget how to pronounce it exactly like a foray, uh, I believe where they'd go and harass the orcs and stuff. Um, and at this point, uh, Androg was still under Mim's curse, if you remember. And at one point during uh, Foray, uh, Androg was actually struck by a poison dart of an orc, which is, you know, right along the lines of Mim's curse. And so Mim, I imagine, was probably pretty happy about it when Androg was uh, brought back to Amonruth or um, to Bar and Danwith. And he was dying in pain. And at this point, he. He was done. He got hit by a poisoned arrow. Um, thankfully, it wasn't in the eye like half of Tolkien's characters that die. <laughs> but <laughs> but thankfully, since it wasn't in the eye, Beleg was actually able to heal him. Uh, so like Sam mentioned, Meme the dwarf absolutely hates Beleg. Because he's a dwarf, because he's getting in the way, or because he's an elephant, because he's getting in the way of, of his relationship with Turin, he just already hates him. And then he basically feels like like uh, Beleg steals the curse away from him. Um, but he's also you know pretty rigid in his beliefs, and he says, the curse will bite again. I'm not worried about it. So even though Beleg healed Androg from this wound that would have killed him otherwise, he he just expects, eh, it, the curse is still out there. It'll get him again. Um, so during this time, uh, there were stories that were beginning to arise from everybody around about the the helm and the bow of this area, and the damage that they were doing to Morgoth's forces and everything. And a lot of the men in the surrounding areas started to hear about it and take up, um, take up arms to help join these outlaws who are no longer outlaws. Turin is building, um, he's building a land of his own, really. He's building an area that he can govern over and choose where and when he, you know, fights against Morgoth, which going back to, the very beginning of the story, that's what he's always wanted to do. So he's finally able to do that uh, because he just keeps swelling his forces with all these kind of stray people that want to join and help out. And thankfully, at the behest of Beleg, he doesn't let any of them onto Amonrud. He just lets them hang out around the mountain uh, because he still wants, Beleg just counsels him, hey, it's best if we can keep it, keep it pretty secret still. And so the newcomers didn't get a chance to see the House of Meme, and Amanrut was changed to the name Echad Al Sedrin. Echad Al Sedrin. Well, I was going to um, ask you, how does uh, Christopher Lee say it? Because I was thinking Echad Sedrin, but that sounds more like, or, like <laughs> el- el- or dwarfish than elvish. But I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and listen to it again and hear exactly how he says it. Um, 
and slow it down because I listen to the books at like two and a half speed. So, oh geez, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I don't remember how he says it, but basically that means camp of the faithful. So this is the area where you know it's a bunch of faithful people doing what little they can against Morgoth. So as summer passes and Turin's forces continue to swell, he he's able to fight back against Angband, and he actually pushes them back. So. I know I stress this every episode, but get a map, look at it. Um, all those little places that Sam described earlier with the River Sirion staying west of that, where Amunruth is, where Dimbar is, all these different locations make a lot more sense if you're looking at a map and you can reference it. So Turin's actually able to push back, um, and all those orcs that had come all the way down close to Nardothron, he's able to clear them out and push push Morgoth back north, I guess is the best way to to keep it simple. Um, and Turin gets a little bit of help with from supplies and stuff, and it's actually Orodreth, who's the king of Nargothrond at this time. Um, he gets some supplies from them, but Orodreth is always in council with Thingle and Melian, and Thingle and Melian basically say, yeah, you can help him, but don't, don't send elves. Don't try to provoke Morgoth anymore by coming out and fighting in the open. Just just help him with, you know, what you can in, in terms of supplies. And so, for the most part, Morgoth had to withdraw his his forces because of Turin and Beleg. They were just taking him out. Um, and so, as, as time went on, Morgoth withdrew, but then he would send these little attacks. And basically what he was doing with these little attacks is he was trying to get Turin and... Um, everybody to feel a little more overconfident at this point uh, because they were able to smash the small attacks. Um, and at this point, Turin takes himself a new name because he claims lordship over all this land. Um, and so he gives himself a new name, Gorthal, or the Dreadhelm. And so, again, his pride is beginning to swell. And Beleg is, you know, thankfully his good friend. And if you remember last episode, Beleg is allowed to to interject when when Turin's pride jumps up. Yeah, I just think it's so funny. He's he's got his third name now. Like, why does he? What's what's up with Turin and names? I mean, I, I go by Sam, Samuel, maybe if if I'm in trouble. But <laughs> I don't I don't I, call myself like Lord of the South and Georgetown students or anything like that <laughs> i th- i think a big part of it is he's always running from his true name i think because mm. that's kind of the big theme of of this story is he feels like there's a curse on him which there is if you remember morgoth's curse yeah. we'll talk about that in a little bit here but okay he's always running from his true self and he he and he'll change his name a couple more times throughout the story too so don't get used yeah. to this name um <laughs> But yeah, he's always running from who he is because he feels like there's a doom that he can't escape. And he thinks that if he keeps changing his name and leaving that part of him in the past, maybe he can get away from it. But it never works out. Yeah, so I guess we'll call him... We'll just keep calling him Turin because we never really called him Nathan. We're not going to call him Gorthal. (laughs) We're just going (laughs) to call him Turin. (laughs) We'll stick with Turin. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. I guess we could see who's really listening at that point. Um, Ah, there you go. But anyways, uh, one day as summer was wearing on, Turin and Beleg were beginning to have a conversation. And Turin, he's he he's you know becoming very prideful, and his heart is high, and he finally is getting what he wants. He's got you know an army at his command. He's got land to rule over. He is his own master, which is what he's wanted this whole time. 
And Belleg has been, you know, seeming rather sad and thoughtful throughout this time period. And, and Turin's like, hey, what's going on, bro? Like, we're dominating. This is what we want. We're doing it. You and I together, we're crushing Morgoth. We got this. And, and Belleg is, he's feeling really down because he's like, I kind of thought that bringing you the helm of, of your father, the helm of Hador, you know, would bring you back to Doriath and bring you back to higher things. And I didn't really expect it to keep you here. And he tells Turin that he said he's burnt the black hand, the fingers of the black hand, basically saying, we haven't touched Morgoth. We're just doing our tiny, tiny little part in this big battle. And Turin actually responds by saying something along the lines of like, well, isn't the displeasure of Morgoth what we seek? And I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. I don't remember exactly yeah. what he says. Um, but Beleg is, you know, he's the more rational one. And he's like, yeah, I guess. But at the same time, we've barely hurt him. And, you know, as summer is passing, winter is coming. And with winter, you're going to need food and shelter for your for your newly found people. Because right now they're just woodsmen that, that fight and go after the orcs. Yeah, they don't have food or shelter, really. I mean, and, and it's, obviously when winter comes, it's harder to to find food and stuff like that. And, and the house of ransom, or I guess the house of the faithful uh, probably couldn't house as many people as they had. And again, as to Bell and Belleg's council, they probably shouldn't open that up to everybody. That's just willing to fight with right. Turin. So they continue to have this back and forth. And then Turin, again, his pride wins out. He's, he's thinking to himself, like, look at how much we've done. Look at we've, we've, you know, squashed every single army that Morgoth has sent our way. So, hey, we're good. But even if we're not, he says this, and I quote, I will be the captain of my own host. And if I fall, I fall. <laughs> I mean, how many times have you, you said that to yourself? Like, ah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this weight. I'm going to try to lift this weight. If I fall, I fall. <laughs> yeah. And yep. sometimes you do. And so again, he's, he's very arrogant, but he also doesn't really, he doesn't seem to be really living for anything too. I mean, kind of what you mentioned, like he, is running from his fate. He's running from his his name. He's kind of forgotten about his family, um, and so he really doesn't have anything he's worth living for. He's just kind of enjoying the high of being able to fight and work in danger and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I mean, I don't know. Um, but Tolkien shifts his his thought back to Morgoth, and when uh, Morgoth found the news or heard the news of the bow and the helm, um, he he laughed to himself. Uh, he he realized that obviously Turin was the helm, and so he kind of laughed to himself like this guy, like man, he's just being a thorn in my side. How how is he still still alive? And and then actually he, Tolkien said that he got worried. That fear came into his heart because he was like, well, maybe this guy could overcome the curse that I put on him. Like I'm a I'm a pretty powerful guy, and my curses usually ring true, but. The way this guy's, you know, going about his life, maybe he's going to be too powerful and overcome my curse. And, you know, so he he's, gets kind of worried. And so much so that he he tries to seize Turin. His whole plan is to kidnap him, or I don't know if he can kidnap an adult, but, you know, he, to to steal Turin away and bring him back to Angband and treat, treat him similarly to his father. Kind of do the same thing that he did with Hurin all those years before so Morgoth continued to send his best spies out to Amunrud and uh before long the camp was surrounded by by these scouts yeah and I think Morgoth too at this point he's happy that he now knows where Turin is as well because if you remember when Turin fled Dor Loman and ended up in Doriath I mean 
Melian foils any sight that that Morgoth has. And so for a long time, Morgoth had no idea of the whereabouts of Turin. And like Sam's mentioning, he's still, you know, a little wary of him just because of, you know, the, who are in the steadfast. He knows how powerful that family is and he wants his curses to ring true. And so he's finally like, OK, this is where he is. Ooh, I should probably be paying attention to this. Yeah, absolutely. And so he sends those spies in and, and they start circling the hill of Amunrud, waiting for opportunities to take down the company of the men, you know, anytime that a guy would walk out by their own, you know, stuff like that. And so while they're hiding and, and Tolkien says he sends his like best orc captain, like his captain spies, you know, they're, there's, they're not just rabble of mindless orcs, um, as uh, Gimli would say. <laughs> um, these these guys are are the real deal. They're they're spies. They're kind of that uh, more stealthy and and know what they're doing. But remember how Tolkien called them petty dwarves when we we're talking about meme. Mm-hmm. They're not just dwarves. They're not the iron dwarves of the Iron Hills. They're not <laughs> dwarves of the Lonely Mountain. There's no. He calls them the petty dwarves. And mm-hmm. meme is exactly that. Because his hatred for Beleg just festered and festered and grew as time went on. And so much so that he knew, because he's very stealthy too. We talked about that last podcast. You know, these guys could, could move about unseen as well. He knows that the spies are surrounding Amunrud. He knows about these orc captains that Morgoth has sent. And so he's like, hmm, I wonder if we can strike a deal. And so his hatred for Beleg and for elves just gave way and and burrowed into his thoughts and so he told all he told all the men one day he's like hey me and my son ebon ebon how would you ibon uh, ebon ibon ebon <laughs> i-b-u-n and we're gonna go collect some of those those really cool roots that we we talked about you know a couple podcasts ago we're gonna go grab those roots um but his true purpose was to go and find these spies, these minions of Morgoth, and lead them to Turin's dwelling and, and betray Turin and Beleg because of the hatred that he has for elves and, uh, and, and for Beleg. Now, it should be mentioned, in my book, there's a little asterisk there, and there's a footnote that says, in another tale, suggests that Mim didn't do this out of deliberation, but to save his son that was captured. So he wasn't actually trying to betray them. Like, that wasn't his thought process. His son was captured, and that was the deal he tried to strike up to save his son. So I'm curious, Seth, what, what do you think, which, which, which tale do you believe? Which and why are there think? two? Why are there two tales? Why does, Tolkien, why does Tolkien do that? Well, I think to answer your second question first, why does Tolkien do that? Keep in mind, he was writing these books and stories well before computers, right? So he was handwriting everything. Um, yeah, at one point he even says like the mean or the to be what how does he say it it's like basically the 10 finger typist is a beyond my means like he can't even pay somebody to use a typewriter to do all these stories so he's handwriting all these and so christopher tolkien who edited these books and put his stories together and tried to make them flow i mean he's going through manuscript after manuscript after manuscript and you think about this crazy world that tolkien has created and he's you know, picking and choosing and changing things over and over and over. There's multiple versions of just about every story. Um, and so Christopher Tolkien kind of just picked the ones that flowed the best. So that's, I okay. believe, the answer that makes sense. to your second question. <laughs> um, the answer to your first question, I'm going to play politician here and say, 
Well, what do you think? What do you think I think? <laughs> Let me answer your question with another question. Exactly. What Let me think? answer that by asking you this. Uh, I think that the original story is probably true. I think Mim is just a jerk. And he's a petty he, dwarf. He's a petty dwarf. And he's already lost one son to Turin and his company, and he hates Beleg, and Beleg healed the guy that he cursed to kill and so he's like i'm taking matters into my own hands my curse may ring true later but i'm not gonna wait for it i'm gonna do it now i completely agree that is what i would go with as well okay well good i'm glad we agree <laughs> but either way if you are a mim mim uh, sympathizer then you can go with it the other way i don't know how but you are, either you way. are yeah i don't know there, there's people out there i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure we can find somebody uh but either way, Mim found the orcs and he demanded to make terms with them. And they actually laughed at him. <laughs> They're like, okay, so you're, we just found you. We have you and your son. Like, we can kill you at a moment's notice and yet you're trying to bargain with us? And so they kind of laugh at him. But he, he said, hey, you're not going to get anything from killing me. You're not going to gain any knowledge. You're not going to get anything from killing me or torturing me. It's, I've got some stuff you need to know. And so, for his treachery, Mim demanded the weight and iron of each man that they captured or killed. And then this was interesting. Uh, Tolkien said, but as for Turin and Beleg, he demanded their weight in gold. Which is pretty insane. Um, and again, Mim, Mim's hatred for Beleg is now completely boiled over. And he told the orcs, okay, actually, you can tie up, you can tie up uh, Beleg and leave him in my house so that I can deal with him the way I want to deal with him. I'm going to take, again, he wants to take matters in his own hands. He's nasty, he is evil, he is vengeful, and he's like, just tie him up, leave him in my house, and I'll take care of him. But as for Turin, actually, he's, a, he's an all right guy, so how about you just let him go free? <laughs> and the orcs, obviously, are like, sure. Yeah, you know, yeah that sounds great. We're going to do that. <laughs> but in reality, they had no intention of fulfilling either of these demands. Yeah, I. <laughs> this is actually kind of what I spoiled for Sam a little bit ago. Um, yes, on is. accident, <laughs> he was like, "Oh, a petty dwarf. That's cool. It's meme." And I was like, "Yeah," until he turns into a complete jerk and abandons and tre like has this treachery. And he was like, "Wait, he did what?" <laughs> yeah, uh, I, 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 my bad. I apparently, hadn't gotten that far in the story, and so Seth said, "Yeah, meme betrays them and gets them." You know, I was like, "What?" <laughs> oh, and now you see sucks. why I didn't like me. Yes, it makes perfect sense now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So yeah, like Sam mentioned, the the orcs they, they're gonna agree to this, uh, but there's no chance that they're gonna actually fulfill their side of the oath. I mean, or agreement. There's they're orcs. They work for Morgoth. I mean, come on. I don't know what Meme is thinking, <laughs> but. The orc captain's orders were to bring Turin back alive. So regardless of, yeah, yeah, we'll leave him. He's a decent guy. You can have him. No, we're going to bring Turin back alive. Um, and as insurance, they actually kept Mim's son, Ibum. Ibum, um, we'll go with that. Um, and at this point, Mim was full of fear, and he was like, oh, crap. But maybe maybe they're not going to hold up their end. I, let's, uh, maybe let's not have this agreement. Let's, let's just go. And they're like, nope. We've got your son. You fulfill this, your side of the agreement, or we're going to kill him. Yep. And so he actually guided them to his own house, to the house of Ransom, to um, Bar and Danwith. He leads them there. Uh, so as the orcs are climbing up Amon Rood, the side of the mountain, a watchman actually spotted them coming and alerted all the others. And 
Turin and Beleg were driven back into the cave and there was fighting on the mountain as these orcs just started swarming. And if you think about it, like once they know the way up, there's no stopping just the endless flow of orcs. And there are men that tried to escape on the rocks uh, outside, but they were shot down by orcs that had already climbed to the summit of Amonrud. So you've got orcs on the summit, orcs below you, and they're just collapsing on, on Turin and his company, which Tolkien doesn't really talk about all the people that were in the woods and stuff that didn't know the location. He never really touches on that. So I wonder if they just, it's assumed that he, the orcs massacred them prior to Mm. up on Amonrud. But at the same time, a watchman spotted the orcs coming up. So I don't know if that's an oversight or maybe, maybe because it's coming up on winter, they dispersed to go back home or whatever. I don't know. Sure. That's a good point. I was thinking about that too. I think, I mean, part of me was thinking, like, this is a stealth mission, like, they're getting up on the mountain, and then everything, like, this whole whole battle is happening inside the mountain where it's a little quieter, maybe they don't hear what's going on, I, I don't know, I don't know the geography, I don't know how far away the camp, encampment of the men are. Sure. But either way, you're right, Tolkien doesn't say what happens to them, you know, uh, chances are they probably were, without having Turin and Beleg to lead them, I'm sure that they would have gotten slaughtered pretty easily. Yeah. I don't know, but then it wouldn't really have been as much of a stealth mission. So I don't know. Maybe right. <laughs> I, maybe you're right. Maybe it was just so stealthy that they got on the mountain before they awoke the the camp. I don't know. Um, regardless, at this point, Beleg actually rolls a giant stone across the entrance of the cave to seal it off and so that they can buy some time. And if you remember uh, from last episode, Androg actually found that secret staircase to the summit of Amonrud, but he didn't tell anybody. Um, that was when he was, you know, rummaging around trying to find some food because, uh, you know, he wasn't going to get any of the root from, from Meme at all, I'm sure. And so Androg, for all his faults, he, he is a valiant guy. And he's like, hey, I found this secret staircase to the summit. Let's go up there. And so the three of them, along with, I believe it was like 10 other uh, outlaws, they climb up the stairs, they get to the summit, and they are able to just take those orcs by surprise, the ones that were up there, and they just start slaughtering the orcs at the top. Um, But unfortunately, Androg, I'll, I'll phrase it as Tolkien does, Androg ends up getting shot from below because they kill all the orcs on the top, but there's still orcs climbing up, and they get shot from the orc archers down there. And Tolkien says, the most valiant of these was Androg, who fell mortally wounded by an arrow, and thus the bite, uh, or the thus the curse of Mim bit again. So, it, even though Beleg was able to save him the first time, the curse came came back around again. Yeah, and I like how you said, like I'm gonna say uh, say this exactly how Tolkien said it now. That is a direct quote, up until wounded by an arrow, and then thus the curse of me and bit again. That's my writing. So if you think I'm, I'm similar to Tolkien there, I'll, I'll take that. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. All right. I'll give you that. <laughs> I'll just give you that. No, no, it's good. It fit right in. It flowed perfectly. Maybe you should be a Rings of Power writer. Um, Ooh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't want to, I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot ball. <laughs> no, not a chance. Um, so at this point... Turin, Beleg, and only, like I mentioned, 10 of these men were alive and they alive and they moved to the center of, of the summit of the mountain here and they kind of stood back to back and they fought to the death. And finally, it was just Beleg and Turin. And like Sam had mentioned, Meme really wanted to deal with Beleg on his own. And so the 
the orcs bound his wrists and his ankles and tied basically drove nails into the rock. So they nailed him to the mountain. Um, but they cast nets over over Turin and took Turin away. But they left um, they left Beleg. And so at this point, Meme, who had hidden away in some crevice of his mountain, comes popping around just like, "Hey, what's up? I'm gonna I'm gonna kill Beleg finally." And so Beleg's you know nailed to this to this mountain, and out comes Meme, and he's you know ready to have at him. But thankfully, with his dying effort. Uh, Androg was still alive, and as as Meme came up to Beleg, Androg, you know, with his dying effort, swung his sword and tried to protect Beleg. Which, for all of Androg's faults, he dies well. Which yeah, there's a little redeeming quality in him, you know. Yeah. And so, out of shock and fear, because Meme is just he's a petty dwarf, he's just the worst. Out of shock and fear, he can't even follow through and like finish off. You know, he can't finish off a dying Androg and then have his way with, with Beleg. He, he turns and runs away and just disappears. Yep. And at this point, Androg, with his last strength, he cut the bonds that were holding Beleg to the mountain, and he said, my hurts are too deep even for your healing. Which is, it's saying something, because if you remember, he already got hit by a poisoned arrow, and Beleg saved him. So at this point, he's like, nope, this, like, this is even a step further than that. Yeah, and you're right. Androg does have some redemption that comes through here, and I'm glad he does. But at the same time, I'm I'm kind of happy he's gone. <laughs> and let I'm me just say as that. well, this is the last you hear of meme until the end of the story, and that little blank gets what's coming to him. I'll just <laughs> I'll say that. Okay, well at least that's a that's a decent spoiler. That makes me want to continue <laughs> reading it. That's that's better than what you told me last time. <laughs> so that's good. Oh, jeez. Uh, but this is where, so that was the end of the chapter. That is the uh, end of the, the bow and the helm chapter. And so this next chapter, this is where I have a problem with Tolkien. I have very few problems with Tolkien and his writings. And I, 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 I'm a very faithful uh, fan. And I've, I find very few, if any, faults of his. But I just don't understand this. Because we just have this opportunity. Like, Beleg was tied up. It looked like he was going to die by Meme. Meme was brandishing his knife, ready to kill him. Then Androg saves him. So Beleg is now alive and well again. And we're thinking, okay, he's going to be a part of the story. What's the name of the chapter? The Death of Beleg. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Like, what are you doing? Like, come on, Tolkien. Don't just say it like that. I, I want to read and then see that. I mean, I don't know. That was like, when I read the chapter name, I was like, oh, you just get so sad. <laughs> so in Tolkien's defense, kind of, Bouncing back to what I said earlier, these books were all collected and edited by Christopher, his son. And so uh, these were all published, po I believe the term is posthumously or whatever, like after he was dead. So these, these books weren't released while Tolkien was still alive. They came out afterwards. So I almost wonder if, you know, Christopher was just like getting all the papers together and this little sheet of paper had the death of Beleg as like a placeholder in Tolkien's mind and maybe Christopher just didn't change it or whoever edited the book or the publisher was like yeah let's just do that like I agree it's talk about a spoiler yeah I mean if again if you're just reading this for the first time you get like Beleg's just freed and then you you turn that page and you see the chapter name the death of Beleg you're like oh well why save him in the first place <laughs> but <laughs> 
Anyway, back to the story. Um, so Belek, he's he's free. Androg dies. Meme's gone. And Turin's gone. And Belleg, I'm sure, didn't really see him get bound and taken away. So he's searching for him among the dead. Um, but he can't find him. And so then he knew, okay, Turin was probably taken alive. And, you know, per the code of Morgoth, he's probably being taken back to Angband. Um, so he decided to stay in the House of Ransom bar in Danweth until he was able to heal his wounds that he had from, from in the fighting. Um, but once he healed, he set out to follow the Trail of the Orcs. And he made his way to the highlands of Tar-Nifuin. Is that right? Forest under the night. And Tolkien says, it was a region of dread and dark enchantment, of wandering and despair. So not a fun place. Not an exciting place. Uh, on the way, again, to the lair or uh, throne of Morgoth, we see the land changes. And it's not pretty anymore. It's not forests anymore. It is a forest, but it's a dread and dark enchantment of wandering and despair. Um, and Seth, you, you put in here that this is also the land of Dorthonian, that Galadriel's brother, Agnar, and, Ag- and Angrod rule over prior to the Dagor Braglach or the Battle of Sudden Flame. Is that correct? Yeah, this is uh, Tar Nifuin is just the land of Dorthonian where. If you remember the Dagor Bragalak, it was when they were sieging Angband, and out of nowhere these flames just erupted and scorched everything, and the dragons came and pushed, it broke the siege of Angband. Um, up until that point, this is where Gladriel's, two of Gladriel's brothers actually, they were the lords of this area, and it got completely scorched and taken over by orcs, and you know nobody really lives there anymore because of that. So it was like this beautiful place. And then after that battle, it turns into um, that enchant, the wandering enchantment and despair, or what, however you phrase that. But Galadriel doesn't care about those brothers. She only cares about Finrod. No, she she doesn't care about her husband either. So <laughs> true, true, true. <laughs> uh, moving on. So during the night, uh, Beleg is again in this very dark and and horrible forest, and he is kind of just wandering, wandering around and it's just really dark. And so he sees an actual light in the forest and he's like, Oh, I should go investigate this. This is weird to see a light in the forest. And there shockingly, he saw an elf laying asleep on the ground. And this is where, again, reading the story, I was like, Oh yeah, this guy, this guy again. So he, he, he sees this guy on the, on the ground. He wakes him up and the elf says, Oh, I'm Gwyndor, son of Gwylian. Uh, if that sounds familiar, this was the dude who saw his brother have his arms and legs ripped off in front of him at the beginning of the Battle of Unnumbered Tears at the beginning of the book. And he's also the lord that led the charge against the gates of Angban and, and was taken captive. So he he was the one that's like, ah, my brother, I'm going to go avenge him. And, and he fought really, really well for a while. And then uh, Morgoth obviously swarmed him and, and took him captive. And Tolkien mentions that there was a lot of... Anytime that Morgoth was able to capture like the Noldor, the elves of the Noldor, he did that. He didn't just put them to death right away. He actually wanted to make them slaves because of their skill for mining for metals and gems. And so Gwyndor was not slain, but he was enslaved and put to labor as a miner from Morgoth. And uh, he was able to actually escape and attack his guards uh, while mining in the caves. And though in the process, he lost his arm. So I don't know if he has like chained to something and had to cut off his own arm to get out of there or if he just got hacked off while he was running away. I don't know. But yeah. One arm, one arm, Gwyndor over here uh, somehow escaped and is just laying with a tiny little light in in this forest, this dark forest, and 
so Gwyndor told Bella, you know, he wakes him up, probably terrified for a second. Then he's like, oh, hi, uh, you're an elf too. This is good news. So hey, Gwyndor, cool. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, that's your sight for sore eyes, I'm sure. He, told, he tells Be- Beleg that a small company of orcs had passed by not long ago headed for Angband, but he didn't see any captives with them. So Beleg's thinking, well, gosh, that's probably not the, the company of orcs I've been tracking. Like, maybe I've been going with the wrong company of orcs because, you know, this was, this was a much greater host that came and attacked us and stole Turin than this small company that Gwyndor is mentioning. So this made Beleg sad for a second, and... He, he figured that the orcs must have taken a longer route to Angband, pillaging you know, the, the, the lands as they went. So as they were talking, they heard faintly the sound of a great host approaching, and probably the one that Beleg is thinking about. And so they're approaching from the south. So Gwyndor and Beleg actually climb into some trees, and they hide as they watch the company move slowly, burdened with booty, as Tolkien said. I just have to laugh at that, you know. <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm around middle schoolers and high schoolers all the time. So, burdened anytime I hear a word, uh, yeah, burdened with booty. <laughs> Man, words change, don't they? Oh uh, yes, they do change now. <laughs> uh, burden that booty. Anyway, they had captives. Is is what that means? That they had captives and also other things that they were able to pillage uh, on the way over as well. So. The orcs were also surrounded by wolves. Tolkien says they had kind of an entourage of wolves as, as their guides as well. So not, uh, not a small group of, uh, not a small host by any means. But as Beleg is watching these people kind of probably march below them from the trees, he's seeing this from above, he sees his best friend, Turin. He was being driven by whips. And, and so he was chained up and, and dragging behind and being driven by whips. And this may be a very, very niche ref, uh, reference, but where there's a whip, there's a way. We don't want to go to war today. But the Lord of the land says, nay, nay, nay. We're going to march all day, all day, all day. Where there's a whip. There's a way. Yeah, it's really a very niche. Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's... That was that was what you were allowed to watch before mom and dad would let you watch our like the yeah. actual Peter Jackson movies. It's so bad. If you go back and watch the animated Lord of the Rings that came out in like the nineties, <laughs> you'll you'll hear that song of the orcs singing where there's a whip, there's a way. And so I still sing that and Amanda gets so annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of those things that just will never leave my mind. I I will never forget it. It's just the amazing it, things it's that in, our minds ingrained. hold on to. Yep. <laughs> Where there's a whip, there's a way. And for Turin, the way was towards Angband. Yeah, and at this point, uh, it doesn't look good because, like Sam mentioned, it's a big host that is marching to Angband, and they're not really a, you know, they're not afraid for themselves because they've got they've got the you know the wolf. Uh, vanguard going with them here and Beleg tells Gwyndor um, he's like yeah see that guy getting whipped and dragged along there I need I need to rescue him and Gwyndor says basically like look you can do this if you want um, but I know I know the powers of Angband and you're just going to end up right there in Angband alongside Turin if you try to rescue him uh, but eventually Beleg and I imagine just because he's such a good friend Beleg is able to convince Gwyndor, like, hey, I know you have one arm, I know you just escaped. Which, think about from Gwyndor's perspective, you just escaped Angband. 
and now you're going to risk your freedom and just your personal sovereignty again by trying to rescue Turin. I mean, that's that's pretty that's a pretty yeah. big thing. And Absolutely. it says a lot towards Belleg's ability to um, show his love towards Turin and convince to convince Gwyndor. Um, yeah. So the two orcs follow the orc company uh, in secret until they made a camp on the barren slopes of the Enfalgleith. So the Enfalgleith is that scorched desert area where the Battle of Unnumbered Tears took place. So this is right up against the border of that. So they've come a long ways um, from from Amonrud all the way up there. Uh, so like I said, get a map, look at these locations. It's it's quite impressive. Uh, so the orcs spent the night basically just partying. They were enjoying their plunder, and they were tormenting their captives, and they all ended up falling into a drunken sleep because, remember, they've got the wolves nearby. They're a big host. They're not, they're not worried about anything. Um, and, and Tolkien says that the wolves actually made a ring around the camp to protect them. So Beleg, the strongbow, he actually takes out four wolves in silent uh, with his bow. He's able to take four of them out without them making a sound, which is pretty impressive. That's so cool. Yeah, that's so cool. I love it. Um, and just killing those four, they were able to creep into the camp, and they found Turin. He was tied to a tree trunk, and he had knives all about him, but none of them had actually hit him. So the orcs were just tormenting Turin by tying him to the trunk and being like, hey, I bet I can get close to his left ear but not hit him, and chucking knives and, you know, just trying to terrorize Turin because yeah. that's what orcs enjoy. Mm -hmm. And they had actually drugged him. Uh, so I kind of wonder, I don't think it's, you know, the same orc draft that Merry and Pippin get as they're being mm. Eisenhower. Yeah seem to be like a reinvigorating draft but i wonder if they have you know multiple multiple types of of you know drugs um but it yeah. keeps in a in a stupor so he's just kind of going through the motions he can't really do much for himself and he can't think straight and all this stuff and so the elves come up and they cut his bonds and they they start carrying him carrying him away but i mean even though they're two elves turin is just he's jacked out of his mind, right? Like he's probably <laughs> like, I'm imagining like six foot seven, 285 of just pure muscle. Yeah. Um, Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson, almost Dwayne the rock. Yeah. Just, just impossible to carry for very far. So they really couldn't take him very far. Uh, so they got him just outside the camp before needing to rest. And so at this point they're like, all right, we got to cut this guy's bonds. He's got to walk for himself. We can't keep carrying him. And so this is where Beleg, he draws out the sword Anglicel. And if you remember, I don't, maybe I should have put this quote in there from, um, I believe it was Melian who warned, who warned Beleg about taking the sword. But yeah. Beleg takes the sword out to cut the, cut the fetters from uh, Turin's feet that are holding them together. But unfortunately, the blade slipped in his hand. And it's almost like the sword has a mind of its own, but it slipped yep. in his hand. And I wonder if it's almost Morgoth's curse working through this evil sword in a weird mm. way. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you think about um, it, Beleg, Beleg's a skilled like swordsman. Like he's not going to just like slip his hand, especially in a moment this important. Like that's yeah. not that's not who Beleg is. Like he's not clumsy when it comes to this kind of stuff and so yeah I, I imagine the sword is is definitely playing a very active role in this 
Yeah, and I mean, this sword is, it's not an inanimate object. It, it actually has a mind of its own, which is strange. So I think it is playing an active role in, in what happens here, but it slips in Beleg's hand and he pricks Turin's foot. And unfortunately, this just snapped Turin out of it. He, he suddenly was roused with anger and fear. He just came to immediately and he saw a form bent over him with a sword. And, you know, he's been drugged, tortured, whipped. He's just, he thinks they're orcs messing with him. And he's like, wait, I can fight back. I'm free for a second. And so he leapt with a great cry, thinking the orcs were tormenting him again. And he grappled with Beleg and he steals the sword. And he actually kills Beleg, his, his good friend Beleg. He kills him without even noticing what he was doing. Um... And so that sword that was forged by the Dark Elf, uh, Ale, slew Beleg Kuthalion, and Turin didn't even realize it yet. And <laughs> I know this isn't really funny. This is a very like tense moment, and it's sad because Beleg has just been the best character. I love Beleg. Yeah, but yeah. when elves die in Middle-earth, their Feia, or their soul, in Quenya, it's Feia, their soul goes back to the halls of Mandos to be judged. And after a time, if they're judged appropriately, they can walk in the land of Amon again, right? So if you think about like Glorfindel, he died and came back and was able to come back to Middle-earth even. But Beleg's Thea left him to go to the halls of Mandos to be judged. And he's, I can imagine Mandos is just sitting there, you know, with his thinking cap on, like, what do I do with you? And he's like, well, I rescued children. <laughs> and you know the rest. Like, can I, can I get my body back? Like, <laughs> I just, I don't know. With how heavy this scene is, I just thought, had that picture in my head of Belek talking to Mandos about <laughs> what happened. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I was definitely more caught up in the emotion of, of the scene at that point when I was reading along. Yep, because, yep. you know, as it goes along the storm is running in too, you know, they, there's a storm coming in from the south. And so there's lightning that flashes before Turin. Cause again, it, it's pitch black. Like Turin just sees a, a dark figure, kills him again, not sure who this is, but then lightning flashes. And for a split second, Turin sees the face of his best friend, Beleg laying there lifeless on the ground. And Tolkien just says he stood there in silence. Because it just dawned on him, like, I just killed my best friend, the only one who's been there for me for my entire life, pretty much. The only person raised who's him. been a constant. Yeah. yeah, who raised me, who's been a constant figure in my life. And I killed him. And so he's standing there in complete silence. And then Tolkien says that, you know, the, the lightning would continue to flash, and Gwyndor, the elf who was right there next to him. I guess he just decided to sit this one out. <laughs> he didn't try to like break up the brawl or anything. He just tried to sit this one out. Yeah. But, but Tolkien says that he cowered at the sight of Turin in the storm. Yeah, every time the lightning would flash on Turin's face, whatever face he was making, just that stoic, like, oh my gosh, I just killed my best friend, scared the crap out of Gwyndor, and he would cower because of it. But because the, the storm was happening, you know, yeah, lightning flashing, thunder rolling, and Turin's big cry when, when he killed Beleg, the orcs were aroused, and they discovered, oh, crap, we lost Turin, you know, the guy that Morgoth told us to bring back to him, and so 
they're like frantically looking around, but they're also terrified of the thunder, fearing that it, it might be coming from their enemies from the west. You know, everything towards the west, you got like the Valar and, and, and all that. So they're thinking, you know, maybe this is some, this is maybe uh, Manway or somebody like yeah. bringing, bringing a storm towards us. And so they're terrified of that. And they're searching around looking for, for Turin. And then a torrential rain starts pouring down as the orcs are frantically searching for, for Turin. So Gwyndor kind of snaps out of it. He's like, okay, I got to talk to Turin because these orcs are coming for us and we need to move. Like, I'm not about to go be captured and live through that again. And so he's like, Turin, come on, like, we got to get out of here. But Turin just, he just went from standing to kneeling down and sat down next to Beleg. And Tolkien says, unmoving and unweeping. Like, he didn't even have the ability to cry those long tears that we've seen him cry in the past. He's just, just sitting in shock. I'm sure his mind is racing a million minutes a mile. Like just like wondering, like, what the heck did I do? How can I move forward from this? I mean, obviously he's incredibly sad, but I can't imagine the guilt and the shame that is just oh, man. washing over him right now. Like if I killed Nate, my best friend, like with even without knowing it, I just I, I could I could see myself just standing there un unweeping, unmoving, just like I don't know what to do. And I have no idea what Malik to do. Had just rescued him. He killed his rescuer. Yeah. So, real tough, real tough look for for Turin. But this this storm was actually, you know, in their favor, in in Turin and Gwyndor's favor. So maybe it was from the west. You know, Tolkien doesn't say, but um, it actually hid them from the orcs who were trying to find them. And so, uh, the the orcs were frantically searching around and then they just left empty handed. They're like, okay, he must've already ran away. We're going to go try to find them. Um, so Tolkien says this about the orcs that they left behind them, the son of Hurin who sat crazed and unwitted on the slopes of Tarnifuin, bearing a burden heavier than their bonds. So again, Tolkien is just describing the weight of the situation. And so for the whole night, they're just sitting there and Gwyndor roused Turin in the morning to help bury Beleg. And and Turin, as if roused from sleep, they, they just kind of okay, fine. Like we have to do this. They dug a shallow grave for Beleg, and they placed his his bow, Belthronding, with him, and uh, the sword, Anglicel. They should have buried with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They should have just put it in the ground. But Gwyndor is like, hey, this is a really nice, cool, cool sword. He took it and he gave it to Turin, and he's saying it would do better. Take vengeance on the servants of Morgoth. But dude. <laughs> Get rid of this thing. Let it go. But they don't. Again, I don't know if it's Turin just doesn't know anything about the uh, the sword, or if he just is like, all right, I'll I'll take the sword, whatever. But you know, we Seth and I both just love how Tolkien says it, so we'll just read it. the The words of Tolkien's last words about Beleg. Thus ended Beleg's strongbow, truest of friends. Greatest in skill of all the harbored in the woods of Beleriand in the elder days, and at the hand of him whom he most loved. And the grief was graven on the face of Turin, and it never faded. That, that grief never faded. Man. That sucks. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. The way he says that when he's like, thus ended Bellic Shrombo, truest of friends, and by the hand who loved, he most loved. It's just like, the way Tolkien writes that, you really feel what Turin felt or is feeling in this in this point in the story. It's just like, wow, this is this isn't just you know 
somebody dying. This isn't just... I don't know. I really appreciate it as kind of a little bit of a tangent, but it'll come back. In Harry Potter, um, J.K. Rowling kills off, you know, some main characters, but they're not the main main characters. And so you don't, it doesn't hurt that bad. Um, but she kills them off in decent ways, but it doesn't really hit home because they're not the main main character. Up until this point, Beleg is a main main character, and he doesn't just die in, you know, he wasn't just killed by the orcs. The way it happens is just. It's tragic. It is absolutely tragic. And when I read this, all I think of is the Curse of Morgoth, that no matter what Turin does, it's going to be, it's going to end up poorly for him. Yeah. And I mean, we've seen him do this before, where he just, again, kills without thinking. Obviously, this one makes a bit more sense because he's thinking it's orcs. But yeah, again, it's just yeah. his second nature to to use his brute strength and, and destroy whatever's in his way. But I mean, you see how that really got the best of them here, and and it's again there was the chapter name, the death of Beleg. So you assume it's coming, but this is no. not how you assume it to come. No, like this is something I did know beforehand that it was Turin that killed him. I did know that beforehand from different podcasts and stuff that I've listened to. But like, if you're just reading this for the first time and you realize that, yeah, that's huge. Sucks. Yeah. It's hard. That one really hits home. It sucks. <laughs> so anyways, at this point, like we still have to move forward in the story, even though it feels like the entire story comes to a screeching halt. And it definitely does for Turin. Um, you know, in his mind, what's left? You know, what's left? He just lost his best friend. But thankfully, Gwyndor is there to guide him to Nargothrond. And Tolkien said that not once on the long road did Turin speak, and he walked as without wish or purpose. So he just became completely silent after after killing his best friend. He just he basically said doesn't even say he just he can't do anything. He's just over. His mind is going so crazy. He's just over yeah. everything. He's just Lots going words, through the motions. Yeah. yeah, at a loss for words. He just follows Gwendor like whatever. I guess I'm following you now. Um, and at this point, they are, and I was looking at a map because this place called um, Everin's Lake, I didn't know where that was. So again, look at a map, but so they're way yeah. up here on the north on the Anfaugli, right up against that, and they come west down the mountains of the Erdwethren, um, and they're kind of like at the southern end of Dorloman, which really is, Turin grew up in Dorloman on the other side of these mountains, so he's not far from home. And the Turin that we know from before would have probably tried to go over the mountains and check on his sister and his mom. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like Turin is just not in his right mind at this point. And so, um, Gwendor actually brings Turin to this place and it's the, the Lake of Everin. And he's, he actually, it's, I like the way he says this. He, Gwendor tells Turin, he says, awake Turin, son of Hurin. On Everin's lake, there is endless laughter. She is fed from the crystal fountains unfailing and guarded from defilement by Ulmo, the Lord of Waters, who wrought her beauty in ancient days. Tell me that doesn't just sound like an amazing location. Oh, yeah, it's like a oasis. Like, I'm thinking like the Bahamas or like, you know, Sandals, Jamaica. <laughs> I don't know, something just like secluded, like, yeah, awesome, but... Except at the same that time mountain runoff like <laughs> yeah yeah i mean I, I'm, I'm just thinking like the the same effect you know yeah it, yeah just like you sit there and you can just bask it in you can just sit there i mean endless laughter come on that sounds awesome yeah. very contrary to what he's feeling right now though 
Yes, very contrary. But Gwendor is basically saying, like, hey, drink this water, wash in this water. It like it can cu- help cure you. And on a side note, this just sounds like a place that Sam and I would hike to in Colorado and go swimming in. Like just the description of it and the fact that it's right on the it's mountain runoff, you know, that creates this lake, which actually feeds the river Narog that goes all the way down to Nargothrond. Like it's a place that we would definitely hike to and swim around it. Yes, we have done that before. Uh, at a, <laughs> the base of a 14er, to- Grays and Tories, there's a little, I guess I would say pond. I wouldn't call that a lake, really. Yeah, it's not a lake. We swam in that. It was freezing cold. Um, cool. The shrinky dinky, as we called it. <laughs> <laughs> Make of that as you will. Um, yep, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, Turin, again, he's just kind of going through the motions, and he... He's like, all right, fine, Gwyndor. He drinks some of this. And again, as Tolkien continues this theme of with Turin over and over, he says that he drank and suddenly cast himself down and his tears were unloosed at last and he was healed of his madness. So again, it's Turin just being overcome by his emotions. And every now and then um, you see this where it just, his emotions are so heavy, he doesn't cry at all. And then all of a sudden he bursts out crying. You know, like he he holds on to it until he can't anymore. And drinking from the water cured him of this madness and and he just burst out crying. And so finally, you know, the healing process can start to take place within Turin. And he was so overcome by emotion that he actually made a song called the Lair Ku Beleg. And he sang it loudly and without heed for peril. Uh, so yes, this is a safe place that Gwendor says is protected by Ulmo, but he just he just doesn't care. He's like, I'm singing this loud, you know, wishing for Beleg and whatever, you know, if there is a problem, I don't really care. Um, and in, throughout the Lord of the Rings books and even, you know, Baron and Luthien and all these other stories, Tolkien writes out the songs, you know, like he he actually gives a poem or an excerpt of the song or whatever. And it's like. I wish he would have done that in this case. I wonder yeah, what yeah. I wonder what he would have come up with to fit his character for that. I just I googled it and I couldn't find anything. Um, but I bet it would have been really interesting. And you got to think too, the inspiration where Tolkien is getting all this emotional heartbreak is from his experience in World War One. You know, some yeah. of his best friends were killed. Obviously, not by him. Hopefully, thankfully, but yeah. I mean, still the loss of your best friend, somebody you grew up with, somebody that you trusted with everything that you found joy in being around. He would have known that feeling very, very near dear personally to him. And so he's probably just writing how he felt, which makes me even more sad for him. You know, I mean, obviously he had a, he had a great second half of his life. You know, he made a crap ton of money off these books and set up, set his family up really, really well for the future and hasn't had, had some awesome kids and stuff. But I mean, they, he, he wrote a tragedy because he lived a tragedy. Yeah, that's a great way of saying it. So at this point, after after Turin, you know, he's cured of his madness and he creates a song and he sings it, Gwyndor takes Anglikel and he hands it to Turin and he says, this is a strange blade and unlike any I have seen in Middle-earth, it mourns for Beleg even as you do. It mourns for Beleg even as you do. This The sword has something. It's got... You know, it's it's not just an inanimate object. It's got something to it. And then he tells to her and he says, but be comforted for I returned to Nargothrond, the house of Finarfin, where I was born and dwelt before my grief. And you shall come with me and be healed and renewed. 
And at this point, Turin goes, who are you? <laughs> it's like, uh, bro, how long have you traveled with this guy? And it's like, this is the first, which I guess Turin, or Tolkien says he never said a word. Yeah, you know, he just yeah, kind of stumbled talked. along and followed him. But it's like, how, how long wait, have you been with this guy? Wait, who are you? <laughs> so it's wild. Yeah, it's crazy. And at this point, they kind of exchange a little back and forth about stories. And, and Gwyndor explains, well, I was, you know, a lord of Nargothrond. And basically what he told uh, Beleg when Beleg met him. And, and Hurin, or Turin looks at him and he says, well, what about my dad? Have you, have you seen Hurin? And he says, I have not seen him, but the rumor runs through Angband that he still defies Morgoth. And that Morgoth has laid a curse upon him and all of his kin. And at that point, Turin just kind of, I can imagine it's a very solemn, very rather stoic, just kind of like, that I do believe. And just, mm. yep, I imagine you just kill your best friend, and it's like, yep, there's a curse on me, for sure. Yep, makes perfect sense. Yep. So at this point, um, Turin and Gwyndor travel south along the River Narog toward Nargothrond um, until they're captured by the elves of Nargothrond and brought in as prisoners by those scouts. Man. Whew. Wow. <laughs> Again, the the story starts slow. Like, Andrew, you, you mentioned it. Like, we know it too. The first few chapters of Children of Huron is kind of slow, but you really need those to understand Turin and, and the man he is, the curse he's under, and the emotion that he has, and the relationship he had with Beleg, like this probably wouldn't have mattered if he just jumped right into the fighting, and you know something like this would have happened had they not explained the relationship. But yep. <sighs> it's just it's so sad, and I, and I know this again. We said it from the very beginning. This is a tragedy, and you know there's very few very high points or you know like overcoming woohoo good good triumphs here in this story it's it's really not that yeah it is a tragedy it is indeed a tragedy man but there's but, more tragedy to come don't worry yeah oh yeah 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 wipe those tears away fill up your your tear ducts for more tears to come i guess <laughs> uh but it's it is cool because it does show again just the range of Tolkien's writings where he can yep. he can do the traditional good versus evil story and good wins out and he can also write a very realistic story where you know sometimes the hero doesn't always come home saving the day. I mean, even with Lord of the Rings, I guess he did that with the hobbits coming back to Hobbiton and you know Sauron or Saruman yeah. Sharky, I guess is he's called yeah. takes over you know, but. Still, pretty pretty intense couple of chapters there. Yes, indeed. But again, very entertaining. I, I was on the edge of my seat while I was reading this, because again, I, I'm still very new to this story. And again, I, I know some parts, but I don't know all of it. And so I really enjoyed it, and I hope you guys did too. Um, without further ado, though, our next section, Gondor Calls for Aid. Now is a part of the podcast where we break into the halls of Metacell and we shout, Gondor Calls for Aid. Will you... Rohan answer. So if you enjoyed the podcast this episode, please light a beacon of your own by sharing it with fellow friends and fans. And also don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. We've got uh, six five-star reviews right now so far, which is awesome. Keep them coming. But, uh, keep them coming. Keep them coming. That, that not only helps 
uh, just our pride to make us feel like a better about ourselves, but it also helps get the word out That's to other people, thing. other Tolkien fans out there who uh, maybe their passion is rekindled with this new uh, Warner Brothers uh, thing that they're doing. I don't know. <laughs> um, but please do share share your thoughts on on the book if you're reading along with us. You can email me at weckpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, but what to expect next week? We're going to jump into more Children of Hurin, um, either next week or two weeks from now, whenever we can find the time to do this. But until then, we thank you for joining us for some well-earned comforts. We bid you a very fond farewell. I have to pee like crazy right now.